You're listening to the Label Machine series, a podcast to inspire and help indie record labels and artists to build income streams for their music. I'm Nick Sadler, a music entrepreneur that has helped start and run multiple indie record labels. In this series, I'll be speaking with music industry leaders about their experience and the lessons they learn on how they both market and grow their music income. Welcome to the Label Machine series, where we discuss with successful industry professionals how artists and record labels market and sell their music. My name is Nick Sadler, and today's guest is Matt Ryan. Matt is a director at Power Excellence, a artist management company based in London. He oversees various artists such as The Upbeats, Shades, Alex Perez, and Gentleman's Dub Club, as well as, as, well as managing record labels such as 1985 Music. Matt, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for being on the show. So, uh, first question, how did you get started in the music industry to where you got to where you are now? Um, I first started, so I went to BIM. I played in bands for sort of years pretty unsuccessfully um, and then went to BIM in Brighton. And then after that, I ended up uh, doing an internship with a friend of mine who was managing foreign beggars at the time. Um, So I started... I kind of worked my way up there basically. So I started off as the intern, then I started doing logistics for them and I sort of ended up tour managing them for a bit. And then it turned out my friend actually left, uh, decided he wanted to get out of the music game and I was able to take on, um, I became their manager basically alongside a couple of other guys and eventually took them on on my own and then basically just built up my roster from there. Nice. So you've got, I ran to a few, a couple of the artists, but uh, what are the company's main activities uh, today? In terms of like the management company? like Yeah, as, as, in terms of power excellence, like what's your main kind of day-to-day activities with your artists? Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, in normal times, it would be a lot of touring stuff because that's where we make the bulk of our money. Obviously, at the moment, it's slightly different. Um, we do still have Axe Touring in New Zealand, but that's it. So it's So it's literally everything, really. So it's from like figuring out, ultimately, the end goal is kind of, obviously the end goal is to have a successful act that is making generating a living and making money out of music so it's figuring out what needs to happen in order for that to happen basically so it's like um so essentially we're we're figuring out their release strategy where they're releasing who they're collaborating with the timing of that the timing of tours getting them working with the right agents the right lawyers the right um like the right sort of merch companies if that's if that that's relevant like and then it's um, literally figuring out the best, like the best strategy in terms of growing that audience, doing bigger shows, and how how that all pieces together. So it's kind of along with actually all the business side as well. So some acts will sort of do more for well. So basically, all of them we have specific accountants for, and whereas we are essentially managing their businesses as well. So it's literally every single bit of managing a business essentially. Nice. Um, I, I guess we can't really. Uh, ignore the fact uh, that we are in the middle of the um, COVID-19 pandemic and how that's, which has had a huge effect on the music industry. So yeah, you mentioned earlier what you would normally do, I guess. Yeah. How, how has that changed in the last six months for you? Like, what are you focusing more on now that live has, you know, been, looks like being delayed until 21 or 2022? Probably 22 really. Um, it's it's kind of a mix so we we're doing we're doing more merchandise for everyone which is good so doing physical sales and things like that which is helping to try and bring some revenue in so um 
we're kind of just looking like the original strategy was, I remember someone saying to me, it's like during lockdown, it was a good time to either like to innovate or to buckle down and create some really good art. So it's like either completely flip up what you're doing or like really concentrate and come up with a great product where you've got the time to do it. Mm-hmm. I kind of went down the second route in that we didn't, I didn't want to just jump on the live stream bandwagon. It's not to say we haven't done, we have done successful live streams actually, but um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon and just do like live streams, Patreons, all these things that everyone was doing. The market was already flooded unless you had an interesting or different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we focused more on, okay, right, we're going to have this period of time out, but we do have, we had album projects on the go anyway. So it meant that those albums, suddenly there's maybe maybe bigger features on the records or the, there was more time spent on the record, more time on the creative around like the videos and the social content around it. So I think we've just kind of trying to utilize the time for when things do go back to normal. It's probably going to have to change again, as I think we were kind of working on a timeline that spring touring next year was going to happen. This was as of a few months ago, whereas this week it's looking like it's probably going to be autumn touring, if not 2021 touring, basically. Um, mm. Mm. one of the other things because we have two acts that are in new zealand at the moment so you can tour there we are saying the strategy has changed slightly over there because there's no international acts coming in which means you're able to drive bigger numbers on the artists that you have there which is which is really good so some of those were going to grow to that point anyway because we've been working on them for a period of time and kind of working to go to that next level mm-hmm. but basically it's like it's definitely we whilst you can do you can do more shows at the moment there's more interest it's like kind of capitalizing on that essentially and um is that just because new zealand has been so good at making sure that um the COVID isn't there or is that something you could potentially do in australia as well it may be in australia they're talking about opening they were going to open that uh what's it called like uh, they were going to do it where you could if you were from new zealand you could play in australia as well obviously they keep having the local lockdowns in australia so i right. think that's probably going to be opened up in territories depending on where it is over the next couple of months. There might be some New Year's shows, it's, but it's still a little bit little bit sort of on the fence at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's go back to the kind of more um, uh, traditional way of running the business and we'll move away from the COVID. Um, <laughs> so as well as uh, managing artists, you're also managing artists' record labels as well. Um, now, people often think, um, but when you're in a position where you're managing an artist and you're also managing their record label, um, it could be seen as a bit of a 360 deal. And, you know, in, in, in times before with majors, um, it could be seen as a negative or bad thing. Um, but can you sort of run through or list some of the benefits of working with someone um, that offers everything under the one roof when you're managing the artist and their label? um so i guess it's like it's it's good in terms of you again you can work on your timelines and strategies because a lot of like a lot of touring strategy and festival strategy is based on when on the timing of releases and when they come out and making sure that you do get them out for the right periods for example like if you're a headline act and you're getting offers or well so if you're an actor getting offers say like festival offers september october then it's prudent to have releases coming out around then so that people know you've got new music coming it's going to be promo around it and sort of demonstrate mm-hmm. that you've still got that fan base for the festivals. Because mm-hmm. um, I think festivals are kind of a bit burned by people being promised records and then them not actually coming out ahead of, ahead of the performance. So when you're working with other labels, for example, it's like you don't have that level of flexibility. Not always, but necessarily, if you see mm-hmm. I'm independent on what it is. Um, it's also great as well because, like, once the, for example, like with 1985, it's because um, it's Alex's label that very much 
it's very much his style. He does a lot. Of, he does almost all of the design, actually. Um, and it's it by having releases out from other people, it helps him and the label, if you see what I mean, in the sense that it's the profile of both of them that is that is put out there, essentially. Right, and by him being able to do the design as well, you're not reliant on a record label coming up with uh, finding an artist to do the designs and getting all that approval. It just gets all done really quickly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, it's a really good workflow to it. And we do, we do use external designers sometimes, but it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's very much, um, it's, it's the majority of it is, is Alex and it is it, but I think that's with any kind of business or anything, it's good to have clearly defined roles as to who's doing what basically. So like mm-hmm. if you're the creative lead essentially, and you have to sign off from the creative, obviously everyone looks at it, puts their input in but ultimately it's good like if you have a head and a, like a head of a and r a head of creative do you know what i mean a head mm-hmm. of marketing whatever so that the the different roles are signed off obviously it's discussed but it means that there's not any uh you, you don't kind of just get into a discussion or it's not or you kind of mess it up where it's clear it's clear who's doing what basically and things can move smoothly along mm-hmm. um just going back a second as well you mentioned um you know releasing music and doing festivals um, just for the listeners, can you kind of explain what a like what the festival cycle is? So in Europe, well, Europe in Europe and the States, basically, mm-hmm. or what sorry, so the Northern Hemisphere actually. It's basically obviously it kind of runs from about May through to about the end of August, give or take. There's a couple of bits in September, mm-hmm. um, and the bookings it changes year on year in terms of how early those festivals book. But the general pattern would be. Like your super, super headliners, like you're talking your Stormzies, people like that, probably over a year in advance. I'm, it's probably around midsummer, if not a bit before. Mm-hmm. Then your kind of second tiers are generally just after the festival's finished. So it's sort of talking around September. And then it kind of rolls on until it kind of keeps moving, keeps moving lower and lower down the bill, basically. So mm-hmm. some people will be getting booked after, after Christmas. It'll be a kind of January thing. And then for the later festivals, it might run on. But in general, you're kind of wrapped up by the end of January in normal cases. So does that mean you want to, if you do have music coming out, do you want to be releasing that before January? Or do you want to be making announcements? Like where would you plug, where would you, how would you work the music in with that? So it depends on how much you had to come out. Because obviously it'd be nice to have, um, so it it's like you Ideally, you're looking. If you're a new act, particularly, like you need to. Ideally, that music's had some traction. If you see what I mean. So, if you were to put it out a little bit earlier than January, say the back end of last year, it does really well on Spotify. When you're getting those bookings, you can step to the festival bookings and say, "Look, I've got this record came out in October. It's now got X amount of plays. It's doing really well. It's had this pickup. These you can look on Spotify. Send them the data. Like, look in your where your festival is. Mm-hmm. We've got X amount of listeners there, and use that data to push it." If you're already a more established act and you kind of already know where your place is in that billing order, you can you could probably put it out a little bit later or around the time it's booking. So they know that you've got some music out there. You know there's going to be promo around it and they're happy to kind of see that that is happening. Do you see I me mean, without necessarily having made the traction, basically? Um, gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Um, is there so sort of talking again about the being a both an artist manager and a label manager for an artist? Is there any situations where you wouldn't recommend having that set up? Um, I guess it really depends what you're doing, but it's um it it ends up being quite a lot of work, and it's a singular team, so that's the only would be the only downside. I mean, if you if you know what you're doing in that market and it makes sense, then it can be good. But 
often for new projects there's not a lot of budget involved um and it's really about for new projects it's really about the a lot of times the team that's involved so it's like because mm-hmm. it's so hard to quantify how well music is going to do and it's o- the only way to sort of say without before it has the success the only way that people in the industry kind of um are potentially prepared to take a punt on it is based on the other people who are involved in it if that makes sense so it's like yeah. So you have the right manager involved or the right agent involved or the right lawyer involved or the right label involved or like a publisher. It's like they're all tick boxes of being like, oh, wow, those people have decided to get involved. So it could be something in this kind of thing. And it's generally the way that people look at it. So I guess in that instance, it's like you would say you get it signed to a big label or you've got a secondary team. It's it's new ideas, other like potentially additional investment. It's also kind of potentially gives the project more credibility. It's like, so some, like, not to you always use the festival booking example, but for example, like sometimes with a new act, it's like, it will be, if they don't have that much traction, it will be the leverage of the agent, the manager, the label, for example, that is able to get them that slot. And it might be that they were cut, the festival was kind of interested with the, with the management and agent team. And then suddenly they get signed to a big label or, and then that might, and you can say, look, we've just signed to this label. That'll be enough to then tip the deal and get that opening slot and sort of be given a chance essentially. Gotcha. Strength and numbers. Exactly. <laughs> um, so as a music manager, what, fell, what, what are your biggest challenges um, as a music manager, managing, uh, managing artists? Um, so I guess there's a few things. So it's like, it, it, like one of the biggest things sort of in the modern days, it, the fact that we tour globally. So it's quite a 24 seven job. So it's like we have acts in New Zealand. I mean, at any given point, it's between 11 and 13 hours apart. It's like, it's not unheard of to have calls where you've got someone in New Zealand, someone here and someone in America, and then trying to find a time zone or a time that actually works for that is, is really difficult. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of trying to, I think trying to sort of balance your like work and personal life is definitely pretty hard in the management game i mean like on some years i've been away sort of over 120 130 days a year if you know what i mean if you think it's one in every three days you're not actually at home so it's like which is fun which is it's fun for a period of time but you've just got to be prepared to do that at at certain points gotcha um what are some rookie mistakes or common problems that you see over and over again um artists make and i guess you know anything from someone who's starting out or even what you see some more established artists doing? Um, I think sometimes people like, like we've had it quite a few times where like artists, they don't, uh, so much. I say basically like where they get too caught up in what they're trying to do creatively or particularly like with artworks and things like that. And it, sometimes it can be, obviously you want to get the, obviously you want to do the best record possible and you want the creative around it to be, to be cool and to work for the project. But, I think sometimes people can get a bit too sort of stuck in their heads about it. And it's like, actually you end up delaying things or putting more money in or whatever. And actually for what you've kind of added to the artwork side, it doesn't really add to the actual, the whole project. If you see what I mean, it's like you end up missing out on, you might sell less tickets for the tour because the record didn't come out early enough. You might not get that booking you wanted. Like it might not have, you might not hit the deadlines you wanted to get the Spotify pitches or things like that. So I think, I think that is a big one. And also one of the biggest things is forgetting how much time it takes to actually do things. So it's like, so a lot of artists think, oh, cool. It only takes a couple of weeks to get into Spotify. I'll do that. But there's so much more around that. And if you want good people working with you, it's like, they're going to be busy. So you need to give people as much time as possible. And it's like, 
a well thought out campaign and well organized campaign is going to go a lot further than something that's maybe maybe the track's better but if it's rushed it doesn't have the time to do the to be able to like to get everything you need to work well then it's not going to do as well because mm. it re- we really find that it's like it's the sum of the parts that really makes that really makes a successful record or artist or and you, like you wouldn't think the lip but it's like making sure that every single little thing lands so it's like you get the itunes home placement you get the spotify placement you get but like you get the radio placement at the right time you get these artists supporting you send it out to everyone you send it to managers i don't know but like making sure that the whole release strategy is actually done and you do even though you wouldn't think one side of it made that much difference when it all comes together it actually is kind of a snowball effect mm. so um artists uh, not to get too precious i guess about their uh about some of their artwork and branding um understanding timelines and just understanding yeah to, but you're working with busy people you need to make sure there's plenty of time and uh and by the sounds of it it's all it's the sum of all the little things it's the long tail that cum- cumulative cumulatively that uh that all come together that actually makes the project successful rather than relying on say one particular part exactly just to take it back one step though i would say like branding is insanely important if you know what i mean the branding yeah. it's not to say the branding like you have got to spend the time and it. it has really got to be right and some of the most successful projects are the ones with good creative branding if you know what i mean you know what it is you see the logo you see something on stage and you can tell what that act who that act is but it's just it's just sometimes i think there's small details that can get mm. caught you can get caught up on that perhaps don't don't play into that bigger picture so you're, you're, as a manager, I guess you're balancing between the getting something finished and hitting a deadline and making it the best brand possible that everybody's happy with. Exactly. I mean, what, what advice would you give to artists that might be being a little bit precious or they're sitting there and they're you know, still worried about the name of their, you know, what they're going to name their album? Like, what would you say to them? Um, so I think it's, it depends on where you're up to. Like you've got to look at your timelines and then just make decisions basically. And I think it's like, like we quite often find it's your, you like you'll use whatever time you have. So it's like, you think, Oh, I can't come up with a name. Oh, I need ages. And like spend three months thinking about it. It's like, if you know, you've only got two weeks to think about it, you'll use two weeks. If you have three months, you'll use three months. So it's like, because right. I think a lot of the time, particularly with like naming stuff, unless you really sit down and just decide you're going to come up with it, you won't and it's it's rare that things just pop into your head and you're like oh great i wasn't thinking about that and suddenly now i've got this great name it's mm. only really when you actually put the the time into into coming up with it right so uh deadlines seem to be the thing that'll make you uh sort of have a decision and commit something put it in sand yeah exactly that Okay, cool. So um, let's look at some um, trending questions around marketing and sales. So um, when it comes to record sales, where are you finding royalties are coming from? Uh, from uh, coming from from the major platforms like Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Tidal, etc. So it's mainly from. Well, I say it's, it's a lot from Spotify for us on the digital side. Like we do well off the like off the various kind of vinyl stores on the label, for example. And we yeah. also do a lot, we do probably, we do about 40, 50% direct actually as well, um, which is so, really good. So when you say, um, so Spotify, you know, I think that's a big leader for everybody at the moment. So when you say direct, what do you mean by direct sales? Oh, so, so, sorry, so direct through our own website basically. And then we do a fair amount through Bandcamp as well. Like um, that, that, that said as well, Apple Music is a reason, we do reasonably well on Apple Music and Amazon as well, but mm-hmm. Spotify is, 
is kind of the in terms of the sort of digital numbers spotify is definitely the the main front runner gotcha and when you're when you're selling directly to fans via your website are you just selling just the digital music as if so if someone was buying it off you know amazon or is are you packaging things up and that's what's sort of helping with the sales we do both so it's um so yeah we generally do uh, we sell like a lot of vinyl through the website, basically, because gotcha. like, we also do it where you get a free digital download if you buy the vinyl. You can buy the vi- the digital d- just separately as well if you want to. And we do also do it through Bandcamp as well. Um, and then what we normally do is we like because we do a lot of merchandise drops, which we're doing really well, and they generally sell out pretty fast. And mm. um, so we normally do those exclusively through the web store to drive traffic to that platform. Gotcha. Yeah, people are driving traffic. And then even if they just want the digital download, they're getting it directly off you. Higher exactly. margins. Um, so um, you mentioned Spotify. Um, and, you know, Spotify is a big thing for all musicians uh, and labels these days. What have you been finding works for getting on Spotify playlists? To be honest, it's a little bit of a dark art in some ways. Like, um, it's, <laughs> it's like, I think once you kind of get into the machine and they notice you, then it's, then it's quite helpful. I mean, always doing the Spotify pitch form ahead of time is helpful. Like, I mean, when you go to Spotify, Spotify seminars, they always say like, just keep them updated, like with any kind of action that's on the release. So it's like, I mean, if you suddenly get added to a radio playlist or like it goes, I don't know, it charts or something to that effect. Um, I think like if you have direct relationships, they're great. It's kind of, it's quite hard to because there's a few people there's not that many people on those teams that do that and they look after a lot of music basically mm-hmm. but it, it definitely is a little bit of a um it, it, again it's a little bit of a snowball effect so it's kind of the more you get the more you're likely to get if you mm-hmm. see what i mean and once like we found at the moment like with alex for example like he's getting a lot of playlists pick up and it's like they're really it's great they're giving us loads of support over there at the moment which is really good like and i think it feels like it's kind of growing and growing and growing which is great mm. So uh, it sounds like if they want you to keeping them updated on on what's going on, they're looking for action outside Spotify. And then once they see that you're like all those little things you were saying together to make it a success, they will then come on board and say, great, we'll also support you. Exactly. Yeah. Because they want to see, they want, they want to be pushing tracks that are successful. So if there's signs of the success elsewhere, then it's a good indicator to them that it should be something that they should push. That's not to say that's the only way. They might just you might just get it to an editor and they love the track and yeah. add it to a playlist and that'd be great. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's the wider picture as well. It's like people want to be seen to be supporting popular music, basically. Gotcha. Um, so I guess talking about other avenues for um, you know generating um, interest and talk about music, blogs are they still relevant? It's kind. Of, I don't know. It's kind of hard, like to say. It, what do you, you per, what do you do you personally find that it's still relevant for the music you guys are doing? I think I think it can be, yeah. And it's like some of the uploads that we do are still, I think, are still like we're uploading to like YouTube platforms and things like that are still really helpful. And it definitely helps sort of kickstart a record and it potentially hits some people that may not have heard it, particularly with new artists, it's really good because suddenly you've got your music in front of a larger audience that you wouldn't have done before. And then hopefully you'll convert some of those over into Spotify followers or or kind of follow you on socials. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is kind of a hard one, but I do think there is still a place for it. And it's like, um, it's it, you might as well tick that box, if you know what I mean. It's like, if it's not too much, mm. if you have those relationships, it's like stick it on those blogs, stick it on those uploads, get it out there. 
as well as doing the other things, basically. Gotcha. Um, when it comes to uh, PR, um, do you use external companies? Depends on the record. So we, well, sorry, I say that actually 99% of the time we don't, this is for 195 particularly. Um, yep. We just, we do it internally because it tends to be the same. I mean, we have good relationships with most of the publications, so it's quite easy for us to get music across. And then if they like it, hopefully they'll support it. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, like we might, if we think a record might go further at radio and maybe get sort of maybe maybe get taken to playlist or something like that, then we'll potentially use a plugger um, to push that out there. And the money you make back on the PPL kind of covers as long as you get a certain amount of plays, you kind of cover the cost of that anyway. Right. So that's a radio PR company. Yeah. Doing specifically for radio. Um, so is, is that because, so just doing it internally, um, if you were starting out though, would you maybe use a PR company and then once you've built up those relationships with those publications and those editors, what you're saying is you just email them because they're another person and, and if they like it, they support it. So you sort of essentially almost don't need a PR company. It yeah, it depends where you're up to. And it's like, and it's all about those relationships basically. So it's like, if it's within one, like within drum and bass, for example, there's not, there's not a ton of outlets you can go to. Obviously, certain records will go further than that will get more mainstream pickup. But yeah, it's kind of about the regularity with which you're speaking to people and the content you're giving them. So like using PR companies where they're speaking to people beyond that and are putting bigger artists through them, you do increase your chance of getting covered by those people, by those publications right. due to the relationship of the PR company. So it's kind of on a case by case basis. But um, mm. It, yeah, so if you were new starting out, didn't have those relationships, then it would make sense to use a PR company because you're much more likely to get get pickup off it. Gotcha. Or you'd go. You're a one-off. You're doing a one-off project for an artist. You'd use a PR company, but you've got a record label. You're doing regular releases. Then you might as well build up those relationships because you said, like you said, it's uh, consistently keeping communication with them. It, exactly that. Yeah, and if, like if you had a record that was maybe going to go a bit further, like that was going to go further or going to hit some new avenue, like you thought it might have a bit more commercial appeal or for whatever reason needed to hit some different styled magazines that you didn't have the links to, then then I would say, okay, cool. Well, we know this person's got this this reach. Let's let's see if they want to work this record. And what what do you mean when you say you think a record's going to go a bit further? What what does that what does that exactly mean? So like I don't know. So say for example, for whatever reason, you might. It might be a. It, it was maybe going to get picked up in like the Guardian or like some of the tabloids, tabloids, sorry, but some of the papers, sorry, or like maybe you're going to get on Enemy or so the, the the commercial appeal of the record is going to be more than like the underground publications or this or the genre specific publications. Sorry, I should say really that you're mm. currently pitching to. So it might be this one track is done crazily well at radio or is like looking like it's going to get a chart or something like that, and suddenly it might be worth using a PR company to get that track out to to a wider audience because it is going to appeal to that wider audience. Gotcha. So you talked about radio plugging. Are people you doing Spotify playlist plugging? Is that a thing or is it just scams? What's your take on that? I think it can work. We haven't done a huge amount of it, I'm completely honest. Um, I know people that have done that to, to good success and you're getting that on, on sort of private playlists, if well, so not private, like user-generated playlists, basically, yep. that are... Um, uh, and that sometimes that's been great and that's been enough to kind of really, really kind of kickstart a record and get it moving. And you get, cause obviously the more, the quicker you get the plays, the more you're going to show up in people's algorithms and you're more going to show up in release radars. Like the track will just become more, um, 
it will just show up in more places basically plus you might pick up those playlists so it's um yes i think it can work we generally haven't done that um i sometimes it feels a bit like some of again this isn't exclusively the case sometimes it feels like the playlists start off really good and then suddenly they have so much content on them because it's all kind of paid for that you're a bit you kind of get a bit lost in in a big playlist but really i guess it's kind of case by case basis basically yeah gotcha um paid advertising um so we're talking about uh running um ads on facebook and instagram you know whether on that to you know promote the release directly or um spotify playlists etc um do you use them in your campaigns what works any failures um yeah i mean depends on how you set up really but yeah it can be really successful so like driving people um like with certain artists we've had really good success with other labels driving people to get to get spotify followers and spotify listeners um through competitions and then driving that through paid advertising that's been really really successful actually and um increasing when you say through a competition how do you mean so it'd be like so it'd be all the artists on the label and then they would um they would run a competition to maybe win a merch prize for all of it but you had to follow all the different artists on the spotify on their various spotify pages for example Ah, right. And then you'll use like a, um, an app like toned in or something to do the gating thing where people have to like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then once they've done it, they can enter the competition and things like that. Um, oh, I mean, nice. we've done, we've had really good success off obviously tour advertising. Sometimes promoters do it, but if you've built good audiences, it can be really good to, if you have really good audience that you know that are working, then you can work really well in terms of like driving, um, driving tour sales and things like that. And, and the same for the record as well particularly for new acts as well. If you get it set up correctly, suddenly you're hitting, hitting new audiences and, um, and building the record up, basically. Gotcha. So um, driving people to Spotify listens can, has been working for you um, with some of the paid advertising. Yeah, that's it. it, it we, we do it differently on different campaigns depending on what it is. So it's like we're sort of generally trying to, like on 195, we're trying to, we're trying to essentially sell the vinyl and then push as many Spotify numbers as possible. So if the vinyl is kind of moving on its own, then we won't necessarily put too much money into the advertising yeah. on that. But if something needs a little boost or, or we feel like it's, a, or we feel like maybe it's worth trying to grow that audience, then we would put some money behind that at that point. And what, and what would you recommend to a, uh, you know, a new artist got their second release out on their own label um, and they want to, they want to do this. What would you advise them you know, to what sort of ads should they be running and focusing on? I think you need to run a few different ones. So you need to run like, so see what audiences are kind of clicking on your page. So you make sure you're interacting with your audiences, mm-hmm. look alike audiences of that, audiences of similar acts or people that you think would be fans of, look alike audiences of those. That's like, and then generally, and then if you can run the split test as well to see what ads are actually getting engagement across those audiences. Um, I think it's good to see just to run as much as you can. And you don't need to put much money and just put a little bit in and see what see what pickup you get from that and then start filtering it down, basically. So if you have people that are engaging, move them into a different thing, into a different pot. So you know that those people are engaging with the post and you can re-advertise back to them, essentially. Gotcha. Uh, sounds like it works, but it also sounds quite complicated and got to spend a little bit of time uh, learning and implementing it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the that, the label machine thing was good though. I did. I watched that video on uh, on paid advertising, so you can uh, jump on that. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason why I'm asking a lot of questions is it's uh, it's an area that we get a lot of questions about, and it's something we want to um, create more material around uh, and do more experiments on as well. 
Um, so that's great. Um, uh, moving on to uh, social media. Um, for your artists at the moment, what platforms are you finding you're get, getting the best response across YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and, and, and Instagram? I guess it's kind of mainly Instagram as, um, like mainly Instagram as the kind of engagement platform, but it sort of depends on the act as well. So like acts that have been around for longer tend to have, excuse me, tend to have bigger Facebook followers. And then, but it does really feel like now, well, tw Twitter and Instagram really feel like the kind of communication platforms. And then I kind of view Sound, SoundCloud and YouTube slightly separately in a sense that, because you've got much more music on there, you're pushing more things. So it's kind of, you need, you need to build those as well as the other ones, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you're almost driving people to YouTube or SoundCloud to listen to your things, if you see what I mean. And is that is to just get the, not just the list, the listens up, but to start getting the followers on those channels? Yeah, exactly. And then obviously, eventually, you have your own audience within YouTube and that becomes its own thing. But I think it's, yeah, we sometimes are driving people to it to then try and grow that platform. Right. Because I guess at the end, at the end of the day, you'll get to a critical mass where you've got, such a big audience on all the platforms, it just self-sustains itself. You put music out, every, enough people listen to it and buy merch, it just pays for itself and you keep them going around. Oh, exactly. I mean, like you look at labels like Monster Cat, for example, and it's like their YouTube channel is, is insane. If you know, it's so, they've got so many followers and it's like, so you get an upload on there and just through their own followers, it's almost a success just by people. Well, they, I mean, they put out good music that's good for their audience, if you see what I mean. So it's... um. Mm. So yeah, the, the release is going to do well off the back of uploading it to their own channel, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, rare sync deals. Have you found ones that work? So they, what sort of sync deals? So uh, the um, when we're talking about doing sync deals with either video games, TV, or film, um, yep. have you found any areas that work particularly well for your music? It really depends on the genre. Um, we've done quite a lot of computer game syncs and some TV stuff. Gets mm -hmm. quite a lot of stuff used on like sort of on like sort of sports TV shows, like football programs and things like that. Um, gotcha. Which a lot of the time is UK stuff, so it's under like the blanket license. But um, but yeah, it just depends really. I think obviously it's, again, it's a bit like the bigger you are, the more likely, the more successful your music is, the more likely you are to have successful syncs basically because people advertisers want music that they know is connecting with an audience but yeah. that's not to say it's always worth sending music over to supervisors if you know them and seeing what seeing what you can get basically gotcha um so um you uh work with, with a lot of electronic music um which means you put music out on beatport um so for listeners beatport is um, I guess it's like a uh, iTunes slash Spotify, but just very much focused only on um, electronic dance music. So um, all the different types of club music uh, are on there. It's got a chart system as well. So if you're selling well, you know, you can move up the charts and get, you know, top 10 or number one. Um, is for you Beatport still important as part of the bigger ecosystem? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, we still do fairly good numbers on Beatport. It's uh, like, it's it's a good platform it's um yeah but we still we still push that we we still sort of push people there it's obviously always in the link in like a link tree thing um but i guess from an industry point of view do you think like if you had a new act now a new uh, a new act doing um you know a techno act say um do you think it's still important for them to get top 10 on beatport like should you be focusing your resources on driving sales there you know because you can move your audience to either 
you know, Spotify listeners or Beatport listeners, you know, is it, do you think that's still relevant in 2020? I guess, I mean, I, I think we, we drive people, when I mean, we drive people to Spotify a lot more because you can have followers and it's kind of, you feel like you're building your audience a bit more. And that kind of streaming market does is kind of the, is kind of the future. However, there is still a lot of DJs, a lot of people that DJ at home that do go to Beatport and buy WAVs and MP3s so that they can, so they can DJ at home, if you see what I mean. So I think it's like, I don't know, def- it, it, like, I think it's, it, it, it's like, it, like I was saying before, I think it's kind of like when you tick every box, if you know what I mean, all the pieces add up to make the whole. So you get number one on Beatport in that genre. Cool. You, you are probably going to pick up some new fans that are going to DJ your music that perhaps wouldn't have heard of it through another way. So it's like, I just if you have the resources, I think it's just push it to push everything. If you see what I mean, versus um, yeah, but I, but I wouldn't say we necessarily do any specific. Actually, that's not entirely true. So we we do do we will do like DJ charts on Beatport and things like that, and we will do we will we will give them content to push and stuff. It does really help when you do that, and then you get staff picks and things like that. And getting in that top section does really help drive drive traffic at Beatport. Okay, oh, that's good to know. Um. So what is the future for Par Excellence? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess normally this question like non-COVID is it's maybe people are moving on a certain trajectory. It's probably a little bit easier to answer. Um, I guess, yeah, with, with us being in COVID, it's a little bit more in the air, isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, we, I mean, we had our best year as a company by about 300% this year. It was like, we had a really good year. Like it was every single one of our acts had their best year ever by like quite a bit. And that was kind of the culmination of 10 years work. So it was very frustrating mm. basically to have lost all this touring. I mean, we were trying to get to the, what well, we were just basically trying to get all, get, get all our artists as big as possible. We have a small, small roster of artists that we really like. We like the people, like the music, enjoy working with and get them as successful as possible, which was, kind of really working this summer basically so it's a little bit back to the back to the drawing board in terms of timelines basically and now seeing what what else we can do but i mean there is other there is other revenue streams coming in it's like sample packs things like that starting to do well for people as i say like merchandise stuff like there's there's just becoming there's potentially stuff like more sort of production work things that that particular electronic artists can do that perhaps they couldn't have done before with with touring commitments now there's a little bit more time some of these other avenues are becoming a bit more a bit more available so we've just got to sort of see at the moment it's like you don't want to miss out on the touring when it does start again but equally you don't want to waste too much time rescheduling and rescheduling mm. when when covid first hit everyone just moved their dates two months and then it was another two months and i was sort of saying like give it six seven eight months because that would probably be more realistic in the end i was way off and should have been sort of 18 or two years but um but yeah i think it's just trying to be like not get too caught up in what was happening before and be smart with your planning if you know what I mean but also be you've now got to be really flexible basically if you see what I mean and like um yeah basically move you've got to roll with the punches essentially but also whilst gotcha. looking for other opportunities that are out there gotcha um so if someone wants to um check out uh Parix or any of the artists is there a website they can go to or we're actually building a new website at the moment. To be honest, it's better to just go check out. We don't really push up like par like Parkinson's is a management company. We don't really sort of push ourselves as a kind of public facing brand. If you see what I mean, it's more focused on the artists that are. Gotcha. That 
Okay, cool. Um, well, do you want to give us a quick rundown of the artists we should check out? Let's make <laughs> sure you remember all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's, uh, it's Alex Perez, uh, Shades, The Upbeat, Gentleman's Dub Club, Oliver's, and Peng Shui. Awesome. Um, thank you, Matt, for taking uh, time out to come on the Level Machine series. Uh, super insightful, um, really cool, and thanks for sharing a lot of that inside information. I think it's going to be really useful. No worries. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye.